You're listening to Screenwriters Need to Hear This with Michael Janda. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode. We're doing something unusual today. So Phil is back with me. And as you may know, every three or four weeks, I host a free webinar where I take one subject to kind of educate you on it. And at the end, uh, if there's time, I answer questions because it's about an hour long. And so usually we answer a lot of questions, but we can't get to all of them. So we saved the questions that we can answer, and we're gonna an- we, we didn't have time, and we're going to answer it here for you today in this, on this podcast. Oh, and by the way, for people who don't know, the webinar is always free, but afterwards I also do like a VIP room for people who, if, for, if they want to pay a small fee, then they get to be in a smaller chat with me, and we talk. I try to answer their questions as best I can specifically. So if anyone's interested in that, you go to michaeljammon.com and, and, and – I don't know where they would sign up for that on core uh, michaeljammon.com slash course probably oh, for the VIP it's slash VIP. Oh, slash VIP. Okay. We're fancy here, Michael. We use high tech stuff like yeah. links, um, uh, short links. Um, so there you go. So, but we're now all answer the other questions. Phil hit yeah. me. I was just going to say the, um, there are a lot of, a lot of really good feedback. And I found that there are people who don't sign up for your course who also sign up for that VIP and they ask some really interesting questions and then after that, I think they it, it kind of pushes them over the edge to feel like, okay, <laughs> this is something I can do. And yeah. then they're, they're a little bit more inclined to invest in themselves. Um, some really good questions out of this VIP. And this is based off of the August webinar. And that topic was the pep talk every screenwriter needs to hear, mm. which is slightly different than Michael Jammon's known tone of just smashing your hopes and dreams on the rocks of reality. Which, <laughs> Yeah, this is, I don't want to just do that. I want to make sure that people get. I want them to be grounded in reality. That's what I'm, I'm really trying to. I'm not trying to smash into dreams, but I want to be realistic. Because once you find out, if you know what the reality is, then now, okay, now we can figure out how to get in. Once you know, yeah. like you know, you know, there are there's a way around every problem. That's what, what well, I. Well, and that comes from uh, you know early on when we were talking about the marketing for this. <clears throat> you know, how do we help you grow your audience? How do we do this? And you were like, I will not sell the dream. Yeah. I will not be one of those guys who just promises the dream to make a buck. I can't do that. Uh, and I was like, okay, well, it's going to hurt your ability to make money. He's like, it's not about that. I right. just will not do it. And so you, you've you leaned into this, you know, sincere, radical honesty, I guess you could say. And mm-hmm. I think overwhelmingly, almost immediately, people were like, wow, this sucks to hear, but I'm so glad you're saying it. Yeah, It just resets the expectations a little bit. And for me, yeah. even. For me, having you know learned from you and, and been to film school and, and worked in the industry now for for so almost seven years, mm-hmm. um, I still I still think about this like, hey, this is a script. Whenever I write a new script, this is not I'm not going to sell this. That's okay. It's a writing sample, right? And it frees me up to just be whatever I want it to be because I'm not hoping that my entire life is dedicated to this one story yeah. I'm writing. I see good things coming your way, Phil. By the way. I see you're, you're coming my way as well. Yeah, because you're putting the work in, and you obviously we you've already. It may be hard for you to see because you're in it, but the amount, the how, the distance that you've traveled in only a few short years in Hollywood is pretty remarkable. So I'm keenly aware of that. Honestly, it's, um, it's you know I'm, I'm humbled to be where I am. I'm humbled to, to host the podcast with you. I think mm-hmm. I even pitched somebody else to po- to co-host the podcast with you, and you're like, like, why wouldn't you do it? Why yeah, wouldn't you just have you? Yeah. Yeah. But because I, I don't, I, you know, I don't need to, or I don't want to assume to be the, the guy. I just, I, I do think I, I bring a skill set to this podcast of asking the questions the listener wants to ask. Yeah. And I think that's really what I do. 
but yeah, I'm, I'm incredibly humbled. I think I've got some really interesting things on the horizon and I've already had some great things this year as a direct result of uh, you and, and the stuff you're putting out in your course and the great feedback I'm getting from people in your course, by the way, yeah. super talented people in there just yeah. giving me feedback and making me better. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. Michael. All right, let's do it. Okay. Structurally, um, we broke this up into a couple and I've kind of found a pattern here. There's kind of craft questions. There are break-in questions. There are, um, course questions and then there are miscellaneous questions so i take all the questions kind of broke them down and then i'm really focusing on things that you haven't said before because there are a lot of questions we get that are repetitive questions mm -hmm. should i move to la should i move to yeah. la should i you know what about this how do i get my script in the right hands and you've addressed those tons and tons of times so if you like this go listen to all the other q a's where yeah. we get questions from social media we get questions from your course members we get questions from the webinar uh, but starting with craft, because I think that's really what we're here to learn is how to be professional writers. Uh, I'm going to mess up a bunch of names today. You ready for this? Yeah, it's okay. Shisui's Sharingan. Right. No clue. That right? You said it perfectly, however. Nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> how do you win the battle against that blank screen when trying to create? Yeah, well, I mean, the problem is you don't know what you're doing. I mean, I mean, listen, the, the blank page is always intimidating, even when you do know what you're doing. But if you if you are this locked up, it's because you just don't know what a story is, and you don't know that that's what the course teaches you to how to come up, how to take an idea, identify if there's enough meat on that bone to turn it into an episode of television or a movie or whatever. Uh, not every not every idea is worth turning into. Uh, you know, it, it doesn't have enough there. So uh, the course helps with that. I think all that, the writer's block that you're experiencing is because you don't know what you're doing. Of course, you're going to be blocked. Of course. You don't know what your characters are going to be doing. <clears throat> so, you know, at least come up, come to the free webinar. At least I can help you with that much. If you don't want to buy the course, the webinar will help a lot at michaeljammon.com slash webinar. Yeah. And uh, all the other free resources you have, like the free story lesson on your website, michaeljammon.com slash free another great place to start yeah. absolutely true if you don't know where you're going to go you get stuck and for many of us it's that you know middle of act two what's going on what do i do now where do i, how do I get my characters to this really bad thing that's going to happen whatever it is mm -hmm. um and that understanding the structure as you put it out it's just so easy to grasp and understand it's a no-brainer oh, okay i clearly know where i need to go and what needs to happen here from yeah. a strategic perspective and then tactically I can lay in things to get me where I want in a surprising way. Yeah. So. Yeah. Perfect. Oh, uh, Oh, if I may, when you're rewriting, print that thing out and use a red pen, man. Get red you. pen. Yeah. Michael's Michael's pro tip. <laughs> Hamboid. What is the best way to keep improving in screenwriting or storytelling? Just keep writing. I, I, I would, Write your episode or your your uh, your feature. Put it aside. Write another one. Put it aside. Write another one. And you'll find that as opposed to just keep on working on the same piece, finish it and write a second one, then a third one. And you'll find that script number five is much better than script number one will ever be. It's it's you have to just let it go and continue doing something else. So that's my advice. Awesome, Chelsea Steve. How in-depth do you prepare a beat sheet or treatment to pass to a co-writer? Is it important to be specific or broad out of respect for them? Oh, well, I mean, you should be doing the beat sheets together. I mean, I would think, you know, that's how you get on the same page. My partner and I do everything together. We, uh, we break the story together. We come up with the beat sheet together. We come up with the outline together. 
that's that's how you do it. I mean, you know, you don't want to shut if they're your partner. I don't know why you wouldn't. Yeah, you know, bounce ideas off each other. That's how. That's how you. Or else, why have a partner? Another really early podcast episode we had uh, was uh, writing with a partner, where you talk about this process. Mm-hmm. And there are several schools of thought about how to work with a writing partner. Yeah, um, there are tons of resources and different writings have different things. One person sits at a keyboard, the other doesn't. I think you guys do that that way. Yeah, right? Seaver's been for the. I used to be the one at the keyboard, but for the last couple of years, he's been the one at the keyboard. Although now we both have. A, we use collaborate, uh, so we both can type at the same time, which is really yeah. annoying. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, yeah. yeah, so so there's a bunch of that, and there are other people who do it. But I I think the real juice of what we're saying here, what you're saying, Michael, is um, you shouldn't be breaking your story separate. That's not correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to be on the same page. Yep. Mm. Oof. All right. You know. Me- you know. I'll, I'll tell a quick anecdote. Like one time, Seaver and I were working on a script for. I think it was Tacoma FD and uh, we were writing the outline together and we got into a fight over what this one scene was supposed to be. And I wanted one thing, he wanted another thing. And then I said, what do you think this story is about? And he told me, and then he goes, what do you think the story is about? I said, I think it's about this. We weren't even clear on what the story was about. So we had to stop, agree on that and then move forward. Yeah. That cleared up everything. I'm guessing. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Nina McKissack. She's in the, she's in your course, isn't she? Yeah. 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 Nina. I'm so worried about alienating my audience for too long. Is there a theory about this? Alienating. I wish you knew. I wish I knew in what way, uh, you know, you tell me, you, I, I feel like you want to hold your audience's hand. That's how I feel. There are other filmmakers who, who may feel differently. And, you know, when I get lost, sometimes when I'm watching, I'm like, I, I, I'm lost here. I, I, I don't know what's going on. And so that's not something that I like to do in my writing. Um, I like to make sure that, you know, especially if you're writing on television, because if you're writing on TV, you go into a movie is one thing. You have their, you have their attention. They're a hostage if they're sitting in the movie theater. But on TV show, often people will be on their phone. They're reading a mm-hmm. magazine. They're doing everything at the same time as watching a TV show. And so I want to Make sure they're with me the whole way, or else, or else, or else you're just—they're not going to be engaged. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah, I, I wondered about this one too. What does she mean by alienating? Right? Because I don't think you ever want to really alienate your audience. I think there's suspense. There's, um, yeah, you know, um, audience superior versus audience inferior. Right? Does your audience know more than the character right. does? The audience know less than the character does. And there's different um, tactics and and tools you can use as a writer to build right. suspense and and they each have their own purpose but um alienating would be yeah that's uh, not on my list of things to do yeah uh, so sorry nina if we had the the, the misunderstanding here but uh, let us know in the private facebook group put us in, in there with a clarification and i'm sure michael hoffman yeah answer that. To, just to be clear the private facebook group is just for members of my course so uh you have to be a paid member to get into that but there's a lot of good stuff going on there these people are very active and and i answer more questions there for them we'll jump down because there's literally this question under the course section mark berzinski is there a facebook group we can join to network yes there is uh, uh, yeah, and once you purchase, you get a link to that, and you should definitely take advantage of it. There's a lot of really smart people trading scripts. They're doing table reads once a week. Uh, they're they're giving each other notes, and Film it's festival. unlike they got a festival coming up, which I can't believe. And um, 
it's unlike other there are other Facebook screenwriting groups where people are, are pretty mean. It's almost like Reddit screenwriting Reddit, which is the most dirtiest <sighs> place on earth. But that's not what this is going on in this group. It's really very uh, professional and supportive. It's a good. It's a good. Uh, I think we were smart to gate that group and say you have to be purchased because it doesn't. It you know it hasn't turned into a cesspool. I can tell you from the e-learning side of my digital marketing career mm -hmm. that when people ask, sure, and, and we had this conversation with a client a year ago when they were relaunching their online membership course for um, yeah. you know a specific topic. But anyway, very well-renowned company, lots of people. And I said, you need to have a community manager that's in there full-time keeping out the riffraff because there's spam, there's ugliness, there's all these things. And if you don't have someone doing that, it's just going to get bad. And most of these things are set up by one or two people who just wanted to start a group. And I've had nothing but bad experiences in those groups. Nothing mm -hmm. but bad experiences. Unless there is some unifying factor, like an alumni group tends to perform a little bit better, be yeah. in, in easier place. You have yeah, but we don't have that problem with our group. Nope. nope. Yeah. In fact, you have people who self-police. I get messages from people who are like, hey, I shared this thing. Did I break a policy of self-promotion? Yeah. It was like, you shared something you produced that came out of the course? I don't think yeah. that's self-promotion. I think yeah. that's celebrating your hard work. Yeah, yeah. Right. right. You're not right. offering to pay to read someone's script. You're donating your time every Tuesday night to run a table group. Yeah, you're yeah, right. Table read. You're good. Yeah, yeah you're uh, good. Awesome. Uh, Tomer K., I've noticed in the in the blacklist scripts that there's a trend of making meta commentary about the script itself, referencing page numbers or the reader. What are your thoughts on this? And maybe define what the blacklist is for people. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the, well, the blacklist, there's, there's really, like, the, the, the blacklist started as uh, a site where unproduced professional scripts that were sold were just never produced, and it was, like, an honor to get on the blacklist. But now there's all something, now it's something else. There's, there's like, two lists, right, Phil? Yeah, there's that list, but then there's also, like, you can sign up for the blacklist and pay a monthly fee to host your script so people can access it and read it and give you notes, and you can pay, like, 100 bucks a pop to get uh, notes and reader feedback on your script and get rated. Yeah. And um, that's a little bit, I think, more of the commercial side of it. Isn't that what they're talking about? That's that. That's the blacklist. There's also fellowships right. and things. So I'm not, by no means are either of us knocking the blacklist. It's just a difference in what this is. And I think what they're referencing is the original list that you're talking about. The original list, they're thinking there's meta, there's a lot of meta jokes in it and meta references. I've not read them, um, but I'm, I believe that's what they're saying. Because that, that is the blacklist. I placed on the blacklist. Right. Top unproduced scripts. Oh, so I, I can't answer it then. But Sorry. from a style perspective, uh -huh. do you think that's an appropriate style of writing? Well, if they got on the blacklist, on the legit blacklist by doing this, uh, who am I to say no? I just think it tends to be cheap. Uh, breaking the fourth wall or meta. Uh, you gotta be, you gotta really be careful. Like, you know, Ryan Reynolds says that in, well, in, in the uh, Deadpool, yeah. but it can become a crutch and it becomes, the problem was when you do it, you're, you're really, you're telling the audience, this is a movie and mm -hmm. it takes them out of it. You've sucked them into it. And my, this is how I feel. You've, and it, when I first started, I thought all oh, these meta jokes were great. Isn't that funny? We're self-referential. Isn't that interesting? But now that I've matured as a writer, I feel like you're spending all this time and energy to suck people into a world, to make them suspend, to suspend disbelief. And now you're going to pop it with a joke. And now you got to put more energy to get them back into it. I don't like it. I think I don't like it. Uh, you know, others can feel differently, though. Yeah. And, and in the Deadpool comics, he would break the fourth wall. So that is not something that uh, he's doing in film. He's 
living in the character and i think it's something everyone expects from deadpool that mm-hmm. he's going to have a commentary with you and it's ryan reynolds like he, he uh, if there's anyone who can do that it's ryan yeah. reynolds right right i don't i could do that i don't know many people who could um fourth wall just for people because I, I just want to make sure everyone's clear on that um it comes from stage place yeah. specifically right where there are three walls and then there's a line and that line is three walls are the set and then the fourth wall is the audience and so they're, right. they're either facing the audience or they're communicating with each other but they don't turn to speak to the audience unless yeah. it's a narrator or it's someone else having you know there's a specific need for that yeah fourth wall is when you literally acknowledge that there's an audience watching your your play which is kind of odd but it can Some be fun some of the first yeah. screenwriting courses I ever paid for talked about that. Like I was supposed mm-hmm. to know what it was and I got so lost. I had right. to go look it up and man, it was, that was very confusing. So I want to make sure we define that for people. Yeah. Yeah. Projecting much Phil. Um, yeah. Cool. PF. Oh, I wanted to ask, I have a follow-up question on this. So there are, there are screenwriting books that are kind of renowned specifically story books by Robert McKee, more so than screenwriting books where he says, uh, it is cheap for a writer to reference like we see, we hear. And I actually write in that style and I get a lot of really good feedback on that. Like we we see this happen. That's just a personal choice. I've I don't never had anyone, with it. I've never had a bump on it. You read my scripts. You've never bumped yeah. on it. I, that might be, and, and to be clear, in the book he clarifies that that was overused in the transition from, I want to say it was like, it might have been silent films to specific um, mm-hmm. moving into something else. So it, it was a, as a crutch people leaned on uh, at a certain point in the 1990, in 1900s. So maybe we've gotten past that, which is why it doesn't bump. But I just didn't, I, you answered the question. You, you don't care. Yeah. yeah. So that's not breaking the fourth wall. To, in that, in that no, 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 no. You're just, yeah, that's a stage yeah. direction. Yep. Awesome. Yeah, to me, it's, it's um, inferring camera movement more than anything. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Cool. Uh, PFH, should I vet my idea before I write it? So I have an idea to pitch, but once you know it is doable, then I can perfect it. So basically, I read and rewrite this question because it was a bit confusing. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah, I think what they're asking is like, this is what I would do. You have an idea to movie for a movie or a TV show or whatever. Put it in a sentence or two sentences and then pitch it to a friend. And if you can't explain it succinctly, uh, then you got a problem. So... Just saying it out loud, even if you don't have a friend, saying it out loud, describing it uh, is a good way to the, oh, okay, I, I know what the story is. Because sometimes you don't even know what it is and you can't, you can't clarify. So, so for sure, uh, say it out loud and see if your friend is interested, if that sounds you know, grabby. You know, yeah. it, could, it might not be. Yeah. And that two sentences, would you say that's separate from a log line or would you call it? Yeah, that's basically a log line. Uh, But if you want to expand, if you want to make it a paragraph, if you find that's a log line is like two sentences. But if you want to make it a paragraph, that's fine, too. But but uh, don't make it a page. Just make it short and brief. Yeah. One one script, early script I wrote, the log line was about a small town. It's about a small town pastor who kills people. And it, it was interesting. See your face, like that's an interesting yeah. enough vlog. Okay. Like, yeah, I'd be, I'd be interested in that. And then the yeah. questions are, well, like, what's it about? Like, why does he kill people? Yeah, so yeah, I would just... go a little more detail than that to, because if you pitch me, I would say, maybe what? Tell me more. You know, correct. And it's really more of an elevator pitch than anything. Yeah, right? it's just yeah. a way to just slide it in. But the log line would be a full two sentences. Yeah. Um, cool. Uh, course related question. Uh, only one other today. Melody, we answer a lot of these questions throughout the, the webinars. It was mm-hmm. a ton of these. Melody Jones, 
I have to do major research for my project. Should I take the course first or get my research done, then do the course? Oh, I think I would say take the course first. That way you know what kind of questions to ask and look for. Uh, you know, I, I'm, unfortunately, we couldn't answer this for her probably live. But yeah, because um, you may start asking yourself questions that you don't even need the answers to. So, yeah. yeah, I would absolutely agree. In fact, the script I'm writing right now, I am doing a lot of research on because it's has a technical skill set that I am very familiar with, but I don't know the intricacies of. Mm-hmm. And so by doing my research, I'm looking into that. But I broke the script first from a story perspective, not a plot perspective. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, what's the story? What do I want to tell? What's going to mm-hmm. happen? Like, how are my relationships going to play out? And now it's looking at it thematically to say, how can I utilize this experience they're going through from a technical mm-hmm. perspective to elevate that story or to add stressors? Like, how can I use this to do to get to this um, part where they get in an argument or whatever? So, I you know, what's also that. interesting side note, but I'm watch, I'm rewatching Wolf of Wall Street and every I'm maybe a quarter of the way through, but every freaking scene that I'm watching right now, everyone is interesting. The acting is brilliant, but every scene is written inter- like there's something really interesting going on in each scene. There's nothing lazy about that script. It's like, yeah. like if you watch, if I, you could show me any one scene, I'd be like, "Ooh, that's good," you know. <laughs> so, think about that when you're writing your script. Is this scene amazing or not? Because that's yeah. that one. It was <laughs> movie. Every scene is amazing. That's awesome. Yeah. Here's a freebie for you guys. I love that. All right, um, breaking in. You ready to talk about breaking into Hollywood? Sure. Cool. Um, there's a, there's a, a curse word in here. So to keep our non-explicit uh, label yeah. on the podcast, F the void. Is there a chance for writers that are not from the U.S. to find success in Hollywood, like, say, South American writers that want to make it big? Yeah, well, there was that guy. Sure. I mean, the guy, the writer who did, ah, um, uh, man, what was, was he, uh, was he Australian? It was, oh, no, he was South African. It's the... Uh, Ah, man, what was that movie called? District 9, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and he did a bunch of stuff. They're all great. Yeah, and so for sure, I mean, you can make, you can make your stuff wherever you are. And, and to some degree, if you have a, if you if you're, make a TV show in a foreign country other than, you know, other than the U.S., uh, often it's easier to sell those shows to the U.S. because it's IP that already exists, and for some reason, sometimes studios want that. So Wilfred, for example, I wrote on Wilfred. That was an Australian show. It did really well in Australia, and we adapted it for America here. Uh, it's not uncommon at all. So, yeah, don't don't let that um, hold you back from creating great stuff. Yeah, from a purely cinema history perspective, a lot of the best cinematography came out of Mexico when Eisenstein moved there. So mm-hmm. they, there's great stuff. You've got, you know, Inarito. You got all this amazing these amazing filmmakers coming out of. Um, Central South America and North America. Um, you've got Taika Waititi out of New Zealand. You got right. I'm going to mention him. There's a movie. I'm just. I'm going to search it right now. Uh, um, worst. What? Yeah. There's a movie. I really just. I watched a couple days ago. The worst person in the world. It's a Norwegian movie. Uh, loved it. Loved it. Uh, okay. Thought it was so well done. The, the, the title was terrible. What's the title? But everything about the movie was great, but the, except for the title. The Worst Person in the World. Uh, yeah. Go watch yeah. that. But there's some great films even just come out of like Europe, you know, the UK and Europe, which I think we're going to get. That's the next question is UK mm-hmm. 
maybe I put maybe that one we answered in the thing but anyway um but it's like once um that that musical is just fantastic and it, it's out of the uk um so yeah i think i think oftentimes people group like the uk and america as hollywood but they are different because you mm-hmm. have bafta and you have the bbc and the way they do their things and then you have hollywood and mm-hmm. The other thing to keep in mind, too, is with streaming. I mean, I get a lot of recommendations for Spanish films and TV on my Netflix. And they mm. don't know that I speak Spanish. I think I they do. Watch. You think they figured it out? I think they it? do, man. They might You'd be know. surprised. But I get some uh, Korean stuff, too. I get ads right? in Spanish because I speak Spanish, too. I'm like, why are they so- how do they know? <laughs> <laughs> it's, not, it's not zip code related. Maybe it's zip code related. Maybe it's just LA, so. right? But yeah, anyway, I we get a I get a lot of that stuff, and so just because you know you maybe you get something, and you sell it to um, Netflix Ecuador, and then mm-hmm. all of a sudden it's being streamed all over the world. You got all of the Spanish channels, and then you make it here. I have to. I mean, ah, here's a great example: mm-hmm. um, Squid Games. <clears throat> Squid Games, South Korea, yeah. blew up huge. Yeah. Right. Huge. Parasite. Yeah. Parasite, yeah. South Korea. But it, I mean, but there's a catch. It has to be good, you know. Better, better than good. It has to be great, right? Yeah, it has to be great. But that's so. the rule for everyone in Hollywood too. And there's right. a lot of people here who are not willing right. to put in the effort to get to that. Right. Yeah, and I guess follow up question from from after the void. Do you know any writers that are not from the U.S. or any first world country that have made it in Hollywood? Well, I know, I've had I've had Canadian writers on my show before on my you know on the podcast. You yeah. can ask them how they did it. Uh, other the. If you came from if you come from a non English speaking country, you're going to have a more difficult time in the sense that, you know, even if your English is really good, it may not be perfect. Like you know, unless unless you've been here a long, long time, uh, and so that's that's the catch. Like you know, you it's hard for you to write dialogue in a in a language that you're. It's not your first language. It may, it may idioms be a little, and yeah, idioms and all that other stuff too, right? So. You do need to have really not just a firm grasp of the language, but you really have to you know know it. Like you have to speak as well as as a native speaker, but with just a maybe just a slight accent. That's the only catch. Yeah, but there are also things like Selena. Uh, you know, there's a girl I went to film school with, and mm-hmm. she's a writer on Selena, and mm-hmm. she's a she's from Mexico, and she's a second. Uh, she just got naturalized uh, just a bit ago, but yeah. yeah, she's she's a writer on Selena before she was a U.S. citizen. Yeah, often. Interesting, yeah. So if you're if you get on a, there's demand for people from, you know, with diverse backgrounds. If the show is about that background, yeah. so yeah, and it absolutely was. I think that whole writing staff were were uh, uh, Latin American, so. right. right? Yeah. Hey, it's Michael Jammin. If you like my videos and you want me to email them to you for free. Join my watch list. Every Friday, I send out my top three videos. These are for writers, actors, creative types. You can unsubscribe whenever you want. I'm not going to spam you, and it's absolutely free. Just go to michaeljammin.com slash watch list. Uh, Semi-Cole, are film festivals a good route to take for a script you wrote to get looked at? Well, you're not looking at it. You're shooting it. Yeah. Right, I, I don't. I'm not sure what the question film, is. Film My, festivals often have screenwriting, screenplay contests attached oh, to them. Oh, interesting. And, and I can tell you, having been on staff for many of those indie film festivals, that that is what pays the screenwriting contest mm. is what pays for the cocktail hours and for the other things. So you're and, saying it's not really a way to be discovered. 
it depends on the film festival, right? Oh, okay. All, All right. right. So, so there are film festivals that I think matter. I think there are also, um, I think what you really want to talk about, we actually did a webinar on, on a little bit deeper on this, which is available on your website uh, to purchase for like 29 bucks. Worth watching. But which it, one is that? Which episode was that? I think it's how to get past industry gatekeepers. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. That's what it was. Yeah. Thanks for clarifying. Um, but yeah, I think what you really want to look for are fellowships. Fellowships. Mm-hmm. So you have the Sundance Film Festival and their fellowships that they offer there. Blacklist has a fellowship. You have um, the Academy, the Nichols Fellowship. Um, awesome Film Festival comes up in another question here. That's one that's a film festival where they do give screenwriting contests, you know, awards. And there are industry people who attend that. Yeah. So it's it's a different thing. Um, Tribeca, you know, some of those bigger ones, South by Southwest, if they have those options. Yeah, maybe go for those. But if you're talking about like the Westboro, whatever film festival, maybe skip it. Maybe skip, save the 40 bucks on Film Freeway. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. You heard of Phil. He knows more yeah. about this than I do. Daniel Celiac. <laughs> Poor guy. If yeah. someone uh, if someone is still in high school or early in college, what can they do to get closer to the industry? Stay where you are and just write. Write and make your own stuff. I, you know, when I was a kid, I shot my own stuff on a Super 8 camera. Now you can shoot on your phone. I didn't have sound back then. Uh, just keep working on your craft and read. Read anything and get inspired by our art, draw upon it. Don't stop, don't look for a job right now. I mean, if you wanna look for a job as an intern or PA or something, that's fine, but don't start thinking about starting your film writing, your screenwriting career, just start working on becoming a good writer. That's the first step. Yeah, I was gonna suggest <laughs> PA, intern, volunteer. Yeah, I started, I started um, volunteering at the Sundance Film Festival because that's all I could do. And it was because of, I was, in the recession of 2008-9, you know, and I just had to work and I had to work two jobs. And so I would volunteer at the Sundance Film Festival and I put that in, put in those hours for four years. And then that's how I got my first real break through Sundance to do some stuff. Aside from yeah. the work I was doing in How I Met You, we've talked about yeah. previously. Great. Uh, BV, Michael mentions moving to Hollywood if you're serious. What about those in the UK, for example, who physically cannot get a visa to move there? Right. Uh, well, you know, there is a there are there is an industry in the in the UK. I mean, you know, they do make great movies and great TV shows there. So, I don't know what cities if it's London. I don't I don't know where the centers are. But uh, stay where you are and become great in your country, and then we'll uh, we'll get you. We'll send a visa your way. When we want we want that. Uh, there's like a specific visa that that gets you over. It's like a, you're an expert in your field, and America wants to profit yeah. off of you by taking taxes. Yeah, the minute yeah. America sees dollar signs on you instead of just pound signs. Uh, you know, get that special visa. Yeah. yeah. Great. Uh, BV. Uh, I just got your pound sign joke, by the way. That was clever. Thank you. <laughs> BV. Uh, no, I did that. Lauren Gold. Any specific tips for fiction novel writers who want to transition to screenwriting? Yeah. Create, uh, write a, um, a best-selling book and it'll be so easy. They will, Hollywood will come after you with buying their rights. But if you have a book that's not selling, it doesn't have the book. Honestly, the book doesn't even have to be good. It just has to be a bestseller because then it comes with a built-in market, you know. And so we don't, you know, is Fifty Shades of Grey high literature? I'm not sure, but I know a lot of people uh, read it and loved it, and so they turned it into a t- into a movie. So mm-hmm. uh, it's just about it's about marketing. 
So these bestsellers have a, have a built-in marketplace. And look at a lot of these movies that are being, are being made. Are They're adapted from movies. They're just hit hit books. They're hit yep. books. And it, it can also be other things like The Martian, right? It was originally a blog post, a series of blog posts. That we yeah, on website. right. Was it a blog? I know it was a self-published book. I didn't know it started it, from blog posts. I believe it was a blog. He would post blog posts. He would publish a, basically a new chapter as a blog post. Oh, okay. Blog, and then he would you know, spin so, off from there. So there's a guy who's not waiting to, who wasn't asking for permission. He wasn't waiting to be discovered. He did it anyway. He built the mountain himself. At Twilight, those were stories that she would tell her sister. And she brought that book, self published, and blew up. Yeah. Yeah. Cultural phenomenon. Twilight was self published. Did not know that. Uh, My understanding is that, uh, yeah, I believe it was. And and someone else, correct me if we're wrong, they'll definitely scream at me because it's such a big hit. that being said, I believe Fifty Shades of Grey is a fan fiction of Twilight. That's at least what I've heard. That's, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Um, I just offended like half your audience who love those yeah. two franchises. That's okay. You're welcome, everybody. Yeah. Uh, Rob Asaro, I produced my own plays, staged comedy shows, and web series for a while. Great. Now as a way to break in. Is this a valid way of doing it? Does the industry care about any of this? Yes, of course. If I mean, but the problem is, you're doing all these great things, but maybe they're you're putting the work in, which is great. But maybe it's not good enough yet. It's okay. Keep doing it until you get good, or maybe it's great, but it hasn't found an audience yet. So it does need to have an audience. Like the minute you have your web series gets discovered by a couple million people, Hollywood will find you. You know, because you you are bringing more to the table than just your desire to cash a check. You are bringing an audience. But if you if you don't have that yet, then one or two things are go- are happening. One is, you know, maybe the, maybe your writing isn't good enough yet, or your show is not good enough yet. Yet means you can right keep working on yourself, or maybe just haven't you haven't no one's they haven't found you yet. And if that's the case, you still have to keep putting it out there just until you're found, until your audience finds you. Either way, you have to keep doing it. That's it. Yeah. Andrew Spitzer, would you agree that ultimately you're selling yourself and your skills rather than a product? You got to bring more to the table, like I said, than just a script. And so what am I doing on here? I'm selling myself, I suppose. You know, I have a following on social media. It helps me get more opportunities. Uh, And so I still have a body of work and people know that I'm a good writer. But yeah, I still I come with this other end, this other, Mm -hmm. you know, I bring more to the table than just me. Yeah. I just my work rather. Sorry. Yeah, and I took this too. No, no, you're, it's your podcast, man. I'm sorry, stepping on your toes, no. Mr. Jim. Yes, I, I um, I did it again right there. So, no, no. <laughs> I was gonna say I took this as an, you know, I think it's a bit of both, and I think the order is a little bit different. Mm-hmm. But my perspective of this is, you have a product. That product is so valuable to someone that they want to buy it, because you were able to craft that product. And because of that, now your skill sets are valuable mm-hmm. and you are now selling your ability to continue to craft products like that one. Yeah. So you have to have a sample that is, you've already checked the box. You can make these people money. If you can't do that, there is no evidence of your ability and your skill set. So there's nothing mm-hmm. to sell. Mm-hmm. Okay. But, but I think it goes for your script. I think it goes for getting an agent. I think it goes for getting a manager. I think it goes for opening doors to meet people you have yeah. to have something that is valuable to them and it might be audience like you were just talking about yeah that might be enough right, right? you might be your ip from the story you wrote and self-published yeah. sometimes i'll be approached by by an actor a big actor who has a, a terrible idea 
for a show or whatever. Okay, because you you're bringing you know you're going to be in it, and so you're a good act. So that that's bringing a lot to the table, you know, yeah. their presence. Yeah. Uh, sidebar here: Is there truth in the statement that there are certain actors who are not able to open a movie, who are not able to? That, that oh. they come and they might have a name you'd recognize and they have they might have some idea of a following, but they're not necessarily someone a studio would bank on. For sure. And I but I can speak more to this from the TV side, but for sure. Um you know, even I'm I know even uh John Travolta, you know, Quentin Tarantino wanted to cast Travolta in in uh pulp fiction, and I think there was some pushback from the studios because he was a you know, he was a has been, he was a washout, even though super talented guy. Yeah. And and Tarantino saw him and thought, dude, this guy is still a huge star. He can't walk down the street without people yelling Vinnie Barbarino. People love him. And so he pushed, he fought for him, even though the studio didn't believe he could open a movie. And he did open a movie. And oh, then he, he did. Became, did he ever? And did he and then and then think of all the other opportunities that came because of that. But but sure, the studios, you know, at the end of the day, they're not even they're not so concerned with is this actor a good actor? They want to know, can this actor put asses in seats? Will they sell tickets? And that's why some actors who are not particularly good actors or great actors, but they can put asses in seats. That's yeah. what counts. Yep. Awesome. That's what I thought. I just wanted to get some confirmation mm-hmm. there. This is a Phil Hudson Q&A hour, everybody. I get yeah. to ask my questions, too. Um, awesome. LePay TV uh, or Leapy TV, whatever. If a short film is being optioned to pitch as a series, is it better to keep the short hidden while it's being shopped around, or is it okay to post it online? Well, I mean, it's a bit of a one percenter for you, right? This yeah, is like I mean, a one-off question. Yeah, I got, it's kind of a lot. It's if you if you put your your short on YouTube or whatever and it gets a million views, it's a lot easier to sell. It's a lot easier to sell. My, what I got from this question is I, I made a short. Somebody has optioned that short. Mm-hmm. Is it a mistake to now put that on YouTube? Um, oh. Does that advice still apply there? You'd have to talk to the person who optioned it because it's now, and now it's theirs. Yep. <laughs> they have the rights. You got to talk to them. Yep. So. Cool. Uh, Len Lawson, should I ask a potential producer to sign an NDA before reading my script? I wouldn't. <laughs> I, I, I mean uh you know i mean it's but it depends who you know I, i've never done that but also don't show it to the producer who's you know got a handlebar mustache at you know you make who are you showing it to make sure what have they done look them up on imdb are they legit or are they just someone who's claiming to be a producer in which case you better build a rapport with them you better know whether you can trust this person or not but i wouldn't i would never ask and i've showed my scripts to tons of people i don't ask for an you know an nda so yeah. I wouldn't either. It's just friction. I think about this in terms of friction. And when we talk about um, adopting habits or influencing people to take action, mm-hmm. the whole there's this whole nuance of digital marketing called conversion rate optimization, which mm-hmm. is how do I get more people to take the action I want them to on my website, whether it's the headline or it's the colors or it's you know pattern interrupts or if it's offers or bullet points, all that stuff. And yeah. to me, this you want to reduce friction. How do I remove obstacles? And in yeah. sales, the best way to overcome come an objection is to kill the objection before it becomes one, yeah. and that's a massive objection. Yeah, like if you were to, I, I don't, I'm not a producer, I'm not an agent, I don't want to read anybody's script. I'd say right up front, I'm not. 
But if someone were to ask me for the favor, they say, you know, hey, we read my script, and then I, for some reason, I was feeling magnanimous that day, as opposed to every other day of the year, then I would say, all right, I'll read your script. And then they ask to see, ask me to sign an NDA. I'd be like, forget it. The we're, deal's we're off. Done. Yeah, we're, we're done. done. <laughs> yeah. That, that's what you're doing. Yeah. But I think it also speaks to the psychology of people who are breaking in, who are so concerned someone's going to steal their idea. And that's one of the most prominent questions we get. Yeah. It, this is that question asked a different way. Because everyone is so is convinced infected. that they have an idea that's worth stealing. That's the funny part. Yeah. Everyone thinks their script is gold. And, you yeah. know, most of them are not. <laughs> so by most, we mean a lot of them. Yeah. Like a 99.99. But. And that's a hard thing for me to admit too, guys. I thought I was going to win an Oscar with my first script. I thought I was that mm. prodigy. I've talked about prodigy syndrome before on the podcast. I mm. thought that was me. And it's not. And letting go of that has been so freeing for my creativity and my yeah. enjoyment of the process. So just yeah. just, just look at it this way. like, If you think this is all you got, that's yes. a problem. Right. And, and that's why you're freaking out. Right. My opinion is still my idea. Awesome. Go for it. Why? Because that validates the fact that I got something. I got right. a lot more of that. Right, right, right. But also, please don't steal my stuff. Yeah, don't yeah. steal stuff. That's for Great. me to do. Yeah, Jammin's, Jammin's, yeah. Uh, everything Jammin writes, I actually write. I'm yeah. his ghostwriter. Mm-hmm. So I've been ghostwriting for him for 26 years. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I submitted a pilot, Nolan C., I submitted a pilot to the Austin Film Festival. Is this a good move? Is it bad timing with the strike? I submitted before I knew there was going to be a strike. Uh, what? There's no bad timing. I mean, you're not going to take... If you become a hit, if you win some prize, great. You'll When the strike is over, you can capitalize on it. I don't think I don't think there's bad timing. So. No, I think there's specific advice on this from the WGA mm-hmm. that I've seen. Yeah. And it basically says that if you win, uh, you know, anything that was done before the strike, it's whatever. But it's what you do with that after. So let's say that you submitted to a strike that was funded by a studio in the AMTP. Um, you're mm-hmm. going to, and then you win. And part of that prize is to have a meeting with a producer. That is in breach. Yeah. Because that is happening after the fact. Selling your, even having a meeting with them is a breach. It's crossing a picket line. So just defer. Say, hey, I thank you. I'm so excited. I can't wait to have this meeting with you in a, in a month or two when the strike is over. You don't want to take that meeting to ruin your potential for a career because you can't get in the WGA. And when yeah. the strike's over, they can only hire people who are in the WGA and they will not hire you. because oh, they won't give a crap about you. I mean, nope. like if you think you're going to build a friendship with them, they're, they're, going, to be, they're going to be gone. Nope, they're so, going to make their payday and move on. Yeah. And then when the Writers Guild qualified writers can come back, they will get their high quality scripts back from the people who write them. Yeah. And you'll be sitting there with just wasted opportunity. With the Austin Film Festival, however, I believe it is technically, and I could be wrong, but I believe it's in, and I did submit this year, by the way, to everybody. I'm in the same situation. I'm not concerned. If I win, awesome. I'm not going to take, you know, I'm, I'm not planning on winning. It's just a benchmark, a litmus <clears> test <throat> for me to say, did I qualify? Like, am I good enough? You know, where yeah. am I at? In a what I consider to be a respected film festival. Yeah. And okay. yeah, you just, you take what you get out of it. You accept the accolades and then you move on. Uh, and just avoid anything that crosses the picket line. Don't yeah. don't take this as an opportunity to scab. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Four questions, Michael. You think we can yeah. do it? Let's blow through them. Let's do it. Shauna Ibarra. Miscellaneous. How do you find mentors or people who can give you feedback? You got to earn it. You know, uh, you got to earn it. You got to get a job or an internship or something at a studio or at a production company and work your butt off 
And then after six months, they say, hey, can I show you my script? You know, uh, but it's not like mentors are just lining up to help you, you know, you know, you know, or, or maybe they are like maybe they're retired people. I don't I don't know. But um, it's all you know, that's the that's the connections part. That's the work you have to do. This is your job is to make connections and it's to give first. And that's what I would do. I was given advice from a production supervisor and a producer that at a certain point you get an ask and you should take your ask. Yes, just you get an ask. You have to earn that ask first, right? Yeah, and there are many people I personally worked with in Hollywood where I probably have that ask and I'm not taking that ask because I don't want to waste their time. You're, you're saving it. Yep, for yeah. one it's time. Yeah. Erica Little, since screenwriting is not audience-facing like acting, is it an ageist industry since it is generally Hollywood-based? You know, um, ageism is the last accepted ism in Hollywood. That said, there are plenty of examples of people who are older who are still breaking in. So it's not like it's impossible, uh, but they're still favoring the youth. But it's not, it's not impossible. Especially if you do it yourself. Why, why do you, you know, I, I'm always yelling at you, do it yourself. So uh, they can, no one can stop you. As, you. as you're older, you have wisdom. You have more life experiences to draw upon. And you might have a couple of bucks in your pocket so you can invest in yourself. Yeah, good point. Aaron Kayumi, what is your advice on how to make how to make writing and screenwriting a less lonely pursuit, especially when writing is a hobby? How do I meet and learn from others or get feedback, et cetera? Well, you know, that's kind of one of the the, the pluses of the of our course that Phil and I have is that there's a private Facebook group just for students. And it, it's a community. They trade scripts, they have table reads, they have a contest coming up. That's the community. That's their graduating class, that's their cohort. That's one way to do it. Yeah. Any other thoughts? Sorry, yeah. No, that's it. It's, it's, it's like I said, I think, I don't remember if we mentioned this or the last podcast, but it's a really good group of people where it's not. Uh, yeah, it was uh, the top of this one. Yeah. Oh, okay. So I've already mentioned it. So yeah, it's a good, it's really high quality people in this group. Yeah. So, solid feedback. So, and and even, even playing field too, they're telling you things based off of what matters, not things that they've heard or read in a book. Yeah. It's like, yeah. this is a, this is how a writer's room is going to give you notes. Mm-hmm. Here's a document. Here's a workbook. Michael prepared with the types of notes that matter. That's the feedback yeah. you get. Yeah. Okay. Last question. Scott Pakulski wants to know, Michael, would you consider your book art or craft? Oh, good question. So I don't, when I'm writing for TV, I consider that craft. I, I consider it, um, I know it is. I'm getting notes. I'm getting feedback. It's very collaborative. I don't think, I think art at its core, and this is open for debate, okay, but I think art at its core um, is is not about compromising. And when you work with a bunch of people, you or when you're collaborating, you are going to compromise. Compromises have to be made. And so it's it's everyone's work. And that's why I feel like it's craft. But I was thinking about this last night, and then I was like, well, what about, what about uh, Michelangelo, you know, Sistine Chapel? He took notes on the Sistine Chapel. Like he had a, he was working for the Pope. He had to do, um, he had to put some angels in there that he didn't want to put in. He had to compromise his vision. But would you say, that it, but you certainly wouldn't say the Sistine Chapel is not art. It certainly is. So yeah. I, I'm, a, I'm a little confused as to what my definition is. I, I, even, even I'm, you know, so in other words, I'm, I'm contradicting myself. I do think art is about taking something inside of you 
and, and expressing it in a way that helps you understand yourself and helps you understand the world around you. And in that way, people can see it and, or watch it and enjoy it and help them understand themselves. I think there's that greater good. I don't think craft necessarily does that. I think craft can sometimes be, you know, the studio will give me a note and I'll say, okay, I can do that. That's what you want. I can do that. I don't think it's necessarily playing for the greater good. It's what they want and they're paying me. I also don't think design is necessarily art. Design is sometimes has a, can be about selling something. Mm-hmm. So the, the design of the Apple boxes that they sell, the, you know, the phones and really beautiful, uh, well done. But the design has an intention and that is to sell this image of Apple of this blank slate, this pure white, open for possibility, creative blank slate. So is that art? No, I don't think so. I think it's design. I also think so there's art, craft, and design. And, but you can have your own opinion, feelings. And, you know, it, this this debate has been raging for centuries. Yeah. Uh, and I apologize, you might have answered this. For you, your book, is it art or is it craft? Like, in, Oh, in- for me, the intention was only... Art. I was drawing upon my craft to make art, whereas I don't usually draw upon my craft to make art. I usually do it to make uh, a TV show. And so the book is called A Paper Orchestra. And when I wrote it, I was very, very, uh, I was struggling with this because I've read books that were of similar books that were written by television writers. And to me, they felt like they had, I could tell they were written by sitcom writers. That's not to say that it was goofy. It just felt like it wasn't deep enough. And it felt like they had taken the network note. Often we get notes from the network where the network's like, uh, you know, can you round the edges off? And when you're writing on a network TV show, we'll often anticipate these notes and we'll do the notes in advance. But for this book, I was very insecure about it. I wanted, I was kept on arguing with my wife. Does this feel like it was written by a sitcom writer? And sometimes she'd say, yeah. yeah. And sometimes she'd say, no, no, no. This is. And so I was always pushing myself. I wanted to be seen as an author, not as a sitcom writer who wrote a book that feels like a sitcom. And so... Uh, whether or not I achieve that, that's up for the individual to decide. But that was my intention. Yeah. And I think, I think intention is important. I think uh, it counts for something. Yeah, Absolutely. And it sounds to me like you took the craft that you've been working on for years and years and utilize it as a litmus test for your art. Yeah. And we'll, you know, if anyone wants to sign up when it drops or when I start touring, it's michaeljammon.com slash upcoming. But, but there, it's interesting because when people have enjoyed it and performed it, I mean, I've, as I performed or when they've read, you know, it's fantastic. It is. Thank you. The, the, um, it's very visual. So I think when I write these scenes, I think, Oh, what is it? What, what are we watching in our mind's eye as this scene goes? So there's that I do write as if I was, I'm a screenwriter. I can't, I don't know if I'll ever be able to get rid of that. And I do write, it's not high literature. Uh, I, I understand that. It, I don't know if I ever could write high literature and I don't think uh, it was never my intention. You know, I think it just speaks to the value of art. Mm-hmm. And, and you said it's to the greater good. And I think sometimes the greater good is what do I want to write? What is best for my soul? Yes. That's the intention. And that is the greater good. And that's the difference between, you know, you know, cannon fodder is the term that comes to mind. I don't know that's appropriate, but it's, mm-hmm. it's just, the the BS that can be mass produced, the AI generated content that can mm-hmm. be mass produced, versus the singular thing that only Michael Jammon could do because it spoke to his soul and came out of him based off of what he needed to express at this moment of what was going on in his life, reflecting on all of the experience he's had. 
Right. And, that, and that's interesting because that's how I protect myself from AI because people say, what are you doing about AI? AI cannot write my stories mm -hmm. because it hasn't lived my life. And these are very personal stories. So it can't. It just can't. AI might be able to do other things, but it can't do what I'm doing. So, yeah. Yep. Oh, beautiful stuff, man. I, I, I love when we end on these great little notes like that because I think it's incredibly valuable to people who are struggling with this. And I, I know a lot of writers think they're artists and they want to be artists. And you are when you're doing something pure and with the yes. right intention, regardless of the quality that you can do now compared to everybody else. It's the yes. best you can do with what you have right now. That is art. And that's the advantage that an amateur or non-professional screenwriter or writer has over what we do. I'm a professional writer. It means I gotta, I get paid. It means people are paying me to put out stuff that maybe I don't necessarily want to do, but I'm taking the money, so I have to do it. But when you're writing for yourself as an amateur, or you get to write whatever you want, and you don't have to compromise, and you don't have to worry about the money because you already have a job on the side. And so uh, what you're doing, not you, but what pe those people are doing is more pure in that sense. You are writing because you just want to write. And it's, it, it's closer, it probably has a closer chance of being art than what I do when I take the paycheck. But it's probably also the thing that is going to get you into the machine to become the professional paid writer. Yes. Who does the craft. If you don't, right. If you, if you stop thinking about, can I sell this and start thinking about how beautiful is this thing I'm making? And we were just talking a minute ago about Wolf of Wall Street, how ugh, I'm, I'm only a quarter way through, but Every scene is so interesting. The writing is so great in every scene. Not lazy. Nothing lazy about it, man. Yeah. 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 The, well, you know, it kind of leads to the end of the podcast. And so before we jump the gun, you know, yeah. what do we say? Keep writing. That's Keep writing. Too. Yeah. Phil, great. Another great talk. Yeah. All right, everyone. Keep watching. We have great stuff for you on the website. We like to. We always like to plug that. If you go to michaeljammon.com, what you can get is a free lesson on how to re how to write. Mm -hmm. You can get on my newsletter, which I'll send you the three tips that I think you need to watch every week. Three you know lessons for you to pick up. Free. Also on my website, you can sign up for my book for when it drops, a paper orchestra. You can sign up for my webinar, which we do every three weeks. You could you could sign up for my screenwriting course. That, that's going to cost you. That's the You can get a free writing sample that I've written. All this stuff, go get it. It's all, yeah, it's, yeah, it's all there at michaeljammon.com. And there's other valuable things you have on there too. Like you can get the webinar rebroadcast. Like this was the pep talk oh. screenwriter and he's here. You can go get that. Uh, yeah. There's also the VIP Q&A. So these are the questions we couldn't answer in the main one. There's a VIP Q&A. You can go sign up at michaeljammon.com slash VIP for the yeah. next event. And just have a chance on Zoom in a small group to ask questions directly to you. Yeah. And uh, let me clarify. So the webinars, because I'm glad you brought that up. So the webinars are free. If you attend live, they're free. If you miss it, we send you a free replay for 24 hours. But if you want to catch the old ones, because you're like, hey, those are really good, those are available on my website for a small fee. So, to, but, but the they're lifetime access. You, you buy it once. It doesn't have a ticking clock. It's like yours. You have yeah. access. It's in there with the course. If you buy the course, you get access to all of them. Yeah. Um, and the webinar, when you attend, uh, you give away a free, free yeah. access to the course. So somebody will win that and mm -hmm. um, a pretty nice discount as well. Yes. All right, Philly, we did it. We Thank did you, it. everyone. Until next week, as Phil likes to say, keep writing.
This has been an episode of Screenwriters Need to Hear This with Michael Jannon and Phil Hudson. If you're interested in learning more about writing, make sure you register for Michael's monthly webinar at michaeljammon.com slash webinar. If you found this podcast helpful, consider sharing it with a friend and leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. For free screenwriting tips, follow Michael Jammon on social media at Michael Jammon Writer. You can follow Phil Hudson on social media at Phil A. Hudson. This podcast was produced by Phil Hudson. It was edited by Dallas Crane. Music by Ken Joseph. Until next time, keep writing.